There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Ms. Marvel. Finally, the moment everyone has been waiting for. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Hosted by Arnie. Maybe I spend too much time with fan art and costumes and with my head stuck in fantasy land. Jacob. Please don't be weird. And Stuart. We have much to discuss. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just don't know when to give up, do we? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And ain't guru. Whoa! Oh, Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing Ms. Marvel, starring Iman Vellani, Matt Lintz, Yasmeen Fletcher, created by Bisha K. Ali. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and... Oh, is Bruno recording this for internet? I think Brian is. This is Stuart. And this is your Gora boy, Jacob. Welcome back to our Marvel MCU coverage, Disney+. Plus. We said we weren't doing the TV series. Is this a series? Is this a mini-series? Why are we doing Ms. Marvel? We did Loki, but we kind of got tricked. We were told it was a mini-series, and then they announced season two. It's appropriate for Loki to get tricked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember when this thing came out, I felt like I heard like a hard no way from you, Arnie. I thought I was like, I'm not ever watching this show. And so this was kind of a deal breaker. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for this. This is my opinion of the trailer. I'm not showing my hand, but I saw that trailer. I'm like, oh, that is the most Hannah Montana, Lizzie McGuire, Disney <laughs> teenage sitcom i don't want to see this this is for little kids and then we're like we're not doing it. i'm like good because i'm never watching this garbage that trailer was awful <laughs> yeah i think you got me and jacob confused i never said i wouldn't watch this because i am an mcu completist i knew once this was announced i was watching this however i did say we weren't covering it because it is at the time announced as season one you know that this could be an ongoing tv series which we don't cover and two yeah, I felt like, Jacob, this isn't made for me. I was always going to watch it, but I felt like I was not going to enjoy it. And I'll just go ahead and share that I'm the least superhero fan of all three of us. And I definitely felt like that. I mean, I didn't notice this thing coming out. I don't watch until it's time to record. I don't watch these Disney Plus shows. So, yeah, I was perfectly fine punting this one forever. But a few things. One, the Marvels is going to feature Miss Marvel. And that movie actually was supposed to come out around now but they punted it till november we had an open slot 
It seemed like this was a good space to do some catch-up. And then, too, I heard a lot of complimentary things about Miss Marvel. I heard a lot of turnaround. I, Arnie, I believe you said you enjoyed it. Marjorie said she enjoyed it. Brock said he enjoyed it. I knew some other people that I wouldn't think would like Hannah Montana enjoying this series. So... Yeah, it gave me a little bit of hope that this wasn't, in fact, a Disney show being masqueraded as a Marvel movie. We were not alone, though, because the premiere ratings for Ms. Marvel are the lowest for any Disney Plus MCU show ever. The premiere in its first week only got 775,000 compared to Loki's 2.5 million or WandaVision's 1.6 million. This show did not do well. Part of the reason why they may have now said it's a miniseries and there is no talk of a season two in the upcoming Disney Plus slate. Hmm. But there is hope. This series is airing on network television. I guess there's not much hope. Who watches network television anymore? (laughs) On Saturday nights at that. Is this because of the strike? There's no one to write new stuff? Uh Uh-huh. I'm thinking that's got to be a part of it. And that they got to sell a movie with uh, the star in the fall. The stars who can't promote it because of the strike. Yeah, at least at this point as we're recording. Yeah, yeah. For lots of good reasons. Yeah, this Saturday and last Saturday, Miss Marvel is on ABC. On the wonderful world of Disney. So if you feel like this is Disneyfied Marvel, then this is the one Marvel TV show that they feel the first Disney Plus content to make its way over to Disney's network ABC on the wonderful world of Disney, showing it in two weeks. So if you don't subscribe to Disney Plus, you can still join for this review if you watched half last week and the other half this coming Saturday. Well, that makes sense. Again, when you think about the fact that, I mean, we all act like everyone has a Disney Plus subscription, but yeah, this is lots of people have network television still, so that is going to get potentially more people excited or at least aware of a character that's still pretty obscure. Ironically, I can't watch ABC. I have absolutely no access to network television, but I have Disney Plus, so I was able to watch for this review. (laughs) Cut that cord so you could have a plethora of streaming services. And I'd be curious to see how much they cut for network television. I mean, I don't think this is an incredibly violent show, but there there may be stuff that... Second week, right? It'll be cut to fit around commercials and time slots and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some knives that go in people's back. I expect absolutely no cuts. Maybe not. And and I gotta agree, Stuart, that the stuff that I did hear once this came out was pretty positive. Now, starting with WandaVision and then Winter Soldier and the Falcon, all that stuff, like, I don't know, maybe I've changed and my algorithm is just different on social media, but I felt like I was just seeing stuff all the time. And then starting with this one, it's just gotten quieter. But the stuff that I did see, I didn't see a whole lot of spoilers like with the other Disney Plus series, but I just saw positive things being said that, oh yeah, no, this is actually pretty good. Well, part of the reason I can speculate why this one has a tougher road to hoe is the fact that we know Wanda, we know Falcon and Winter Soldier. Maybe they're not big-time A-list Marvel stars in the movies, but we knew them from the movies. Who the hell is Ms. Marvel? She is one of the biggest new characters in recent years, much against my anticipation. I was actually reading comics when they announced her and she came in, and I'm like, this is a social justice warrior character that's never gonna last. They're shoving her down people's throats. No, she's a hit. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, th- she came out around 2013, ended 2013, 2014 when she got her solo series. And Marvel was doing this a lot. This is when we got Ironheart around this time. We also got my favorite one. Of course, it's the goofy one was Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, a genius like child who hangs out with an actual dinosaur. But you were getting a lot of that, like, let's bring in more diversity. Let's bring in more females. And yeah, it was a lot of legacy characters, though. We're going to take Iron Man or Captain Marvel and bring a new demographic into that character. Part of my rebelling against it was that she took the name Ms. Marvel, which was Carol Danvers' moniker. She was Ms. Marvel for as long as I knew that character, and wearing the thunderbolt on her chest and the sash, and they promoted her to Captain Marvel before she got a movie and gave her the outfit that looks like the movie. And then this one came in and is now the new Ms. Marvel, And her powers in the comics were like Mr. Fantastic's. She had stretchy limbs. That was it. I'm like, that is completely unoriginal to have a stretchy limbed character. It was weird, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I always saw her with a growing big fist. It was bizarre. I'm going to use a word that I don't like, that I feel like has really turned into this awful buzzword of now. But I can imagine the response being woke, right? That you're telling me that superhero is 16-year-old Muslim teenager from Jersey, and that sounds calculated in a way to, yeah, trigger a political debate, right? And I think that I'm guessing that that has happened on social media. I didn't see it with this one. If we ever cover She-Hulk, that definitely did go around. But again, there was a backlash in the comic community back in 2014 when this happened. Now, wokeness, that that didn't happen to like 2020, I think, based on the culture wars. I never heard that term used by a lot of people. But yeah, 2014, it was just social justice warrior and forced diversity, I think, were more the buzzwords from the people against this thing. But Here's the thing, like, this comes from a genuine place. Ms. Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, came from a Pakistani Muslim editor, female editor at Marvel, who was just telling stories about growing up in America with that background, and everyone's like, this is hilarious, like, we should do something with this, and so, like, she created this character, so, yeah, wokeness, I think the way people use it is to force diversity, but this is coming from a genuine place, like, it's hard to argue that this is woke when this is someone's experience here. And I think that mattered because the character did win me over after it came out. I was upset at first, but one of my favorite comics I've ever read is Persepolis. Yeah, good one. And that one is about a Muslim girl growing up, and I kind of felt like this was an American superhero legacy to that, and so I ended up liking the character despite my initial knee-jerk reaction, which may have been a little bit, yeah, They were replacing all the characters back then, and so it just felt a little bit forced at first. Right. This is not someone saying, I'm Spider-Man. This is a new character. I mean, maybe you feel like it's replacing... No, Ms. Marvel, I just said, was Carol Danvers. Yeah, she's next in line, though. It's not... It's kind of like when we get a new Miles Morales, right? Like, it's not... The same thing is totally changing the character or or maybe it is i don't know my perception it feels a little different and maybe that's because i have no familiarity with captain marvel other than at the movies whereas the classic characters are ones that i grew up with thinking 
and a certain identity. Well, I think it would be different to me if this was Miss Marvel. It's Ms. Marvel, which is very specifically Carol Danvers showing her wokeness from the 70s when being Ms. was a big thing. I mean, I don't know if you can recall back that far, but whether you were Mrs. or Miss, and then came out Ms., and so she was Ms. Marvel, that this is Ms. Marvel tells me, I'm taking that moniker, I'm a legacy character. Yeah, but are you a big Carol Danvers fan? I feel like there's a big difference between a Spider-Man and a Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel. That's what I was trying to say, is I feel like they have a classic roster, beloved, and then they have newer characters that, mm, they could be tweaked, they could be changed, and not cause an uproar. But I, I have a few thoughts on this. One, I will say this. I feel like there has been a shift in superhero, at least entertainment, the way I've experienced it. And that it used to be, for me, seeing superheroes fight certain problems, real world issues. And in the last 10 years, it does feel like it's more about empowering certain identities. Does Miss Marvel have a rogues gallery? I mean, when I think about a Muslim superhero, is she going to fight for Muslim people? Is she going to fight to change Muslimic laws so that women have more freedoms? What does that mean? It leaves a lot of questions open as to how that will relate to her superhero identity. But it seems to me like the point is we want young brown women to feel like they can count as well. And that has been the trend, is not so much creating new enemies and facing real-world problems so much as giving empowerment to every individual with a minority identity. And I think the distinction between that is how it's done. And like Jacob said, this coming from a pure place, I think, matters a bit more than a boardroom saying what demographic needs to be served here and what needs to be done to fit an agenda. Right. And again, it's also just interesting to me because I can't think of too many superheroes that have a religious affiliation. I mean, truly, I like Bible man. Like I was, I was scratching my head about like, when has any theology mattered to a superhero? Superheroes are kind of like agnostic gods. So how is that going to play into it? it was a real curiosity. I was actually really excited to see how that would play out in this series, being Muslim specifically. Just a reminder, Daredevil is a notorious Catholic. Yeah, I remember Ben Affleck being in a church. Like, again, my <laughs> reference are the movies. But yeah, I, I, again, that, that this is being put front and center is actually a very exciting thing in my estimation. So who's putting it front and center? You already mentioned uh, the creator, Bisha K. Ali. It looks like she has a resume with a lot of TV on it. She worked on Loki. She worked on the Four Weddings and a Funeral TV series. She was a stand-up comic, according to Wikipedia, too. So you know you're going to have some humor in there. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the directors. They brought on Adele and Bilal, who we all complimented for kind of reviving Bad Boys 3. When Michael Bay walked away from the franchise, they delivered the best one of the trilogy, my opinion. A surprisingly good film, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> the Batgirl movie that no one will ever see. Might be great, might be awful. Who knows? Mm. I believe they will leak it someday like Ryan Reynolds leaked that Deadpool trailer. It will come out somehow, like the Fantastic Four by Roger Corman. That film will find life somehow. But yes, it will never be legally seen. Yeah. They're doing two episodes, the first and the last, and then we have two women directors, one that won Oscars, multiple Oscars for documentary shorts, 
kind of an interesting tack. Hasn't really worked in, you know, fiction. And then we have a cable TV workhorse, a woman that has worked on every show you could possibly think of, from Walking Dead to Punisher to Westworld. All of them handling two episodes apiece for a six-episode run. And you say this didn't stream well at first? Has has there been any revision? Has this been rediscovered? Nielsen doesn't update a lot of rankings with things like that. I haven't been able to find total numbers, but from the stuff I've read, this is the least viewed of the Disney Plus series. And the one right above it, barely any better, is the currently running Secret Invasion. So maybe people mm. are just getting tired of Disney Plus Marvel. Yeah, another one I've heard nothing about. Mm. Yeah, I, I do feel like some of this uh, is not about, you know, Miss Marvel or whoever's being featured. It's really, yeah, we've had a lot of Marvel product and, you know, we've talked about it. The Phase 4 left many underwhelmed, including myself. And me. And Ant-Man and the Wasp being Quantumania like that. Wow. Like, people really dislike that film. I don't get the hate that it seems to continually get. Yeah. I, and I wonder if it's hate so much as people have just reached the, the boiling point. Like, that was the straw that made people say, this is not as good as it used to be. Which, I agree, it isn't. But yeah, hatred for that movie seems weird. But let's talk Ms. Marvel. Arnie, give us the plot, and we'll break down all six episodes. Jersey City resident and high school junior Kamala Khan, played by Iman Vellani, is a major Avengers fangirl. She's especially fond of Captain Marvel, going so far as to cosplay as Captain Marvel at the local Avengers Con. But while cosplaying at that event, Kamala puts on a wrist bangle she got from her grandmother, and it gives Kamala the superpower to project energy extensions of her limbs shoot energy blasts from her hands, and create objects made of solid light. Her first use of these powers creates a catastrophe at Avengers Con, but also saves another girl from getting seriously hurt by that disaster. After some practice, though, Kamala learns to control her powers and can make floating shapes at will. Her powers get the attention of the Jinn. No, not the Wishmaster, a series we still need to cover, but a group of interdimensional beings that look human and have just been trapped in our dimension. Kamala's great-grandmother was one of the jinn, and the remaining jinn, calling themselves the clandestine, want Kamala to use her powers to help them return to their own dimension. When Kamala initially hesitates due to the risk in helping them, they attack Kamala at her brother's wedding. Researching her origins, Kamala and her mother travel to visit Kamala's grandmother in Pakistan. There, Kamala meets a group called the Red Daggers, sworn enemies of the clandestine. The leader of the Red Daggers tells Kamala that if the jinn bring down the barrier between their dimension and ours, then our world will be obliterated. The jinn attack Kamala, and though Kamala is defended by the Red Daggers, the jinn leader stabs Kamala's bangle, which opens the portal between the dimensions. But when the jinn try to enter the portal, they're not transported home, they turn to ash and are killed. The lead jinn sacrifices herself to close the portal and save the life of everyone on Earth, who includes the leader's son, Cameron, on whom Kamala has a crush. The mother's death gives Cameron powers similar to Kamala's, but his powers seem to be hurting him. Searching for Cameron is the Department of Damage Control, who try to arrest the youth. Kamala, back in New Jersey, goes to help Cameron, wearing the new super suit sewn for her by her mother. However, she and Cameron start fighting each other when Cameron decides to try and use lethal force against the damage control troops. Finally, Kamala convinces Cameron to flee and helps him escape to a boat that takes Cameron to Pakistan, where he is safely accepted by the Red Dagger clan. 
and Kamala's family are proud of their superhero teenage daughter, who takes the name Ms. Marvel, as credits roll. Okay, and as things start, it's going to be a real homemade sticker fest here when we get, like, a podcast done by Kamala about her hero, Captain Marvel. It is... I don't know. Jacob, you said that you feared that it was going to be Zack and Cody, Lizzie McGuire in a cape. Isn't it? Isn't that what we get? (laughs) Yeah, I get that vibe a lot. Yes, especially in this first episode with this intro and, yeah, all this love for Captain Marvel and the YouTube videos and we'll get some TikTok at some point. Yeah, look, you want a summary of my thoughts? Yeah, this is still for tweens. Like, whether or not I enjoyed this, this is for a younger audience. That's not bad or good. That's just the facts. Yeah, absolutely, that's the case. We kind of said that about the Spider-Man movies when we reviewed Homecoming specifically, that it was aimed at a younger audience being about a high school junior. This is even younger, though. Well, she's a junior as well. She may look younger. Yeah, but it could be high school. But to me, this plays for tweens. Like, I I try to get my 12-year-old to watch some of this, and she had already grown out of it. Like, she did not get into it. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, do I need to haul out my imaginary kids? Like, that. (laughs) the thought is, like, when I feel... You know, just trumped by the idea that I've been given an entertainment that I couldn't possibly appreciate as an adult. I have to regress. Like, let me create an audience that would enjoy this, which aren't you giving me some flack for? But can 50 year old men enjoy this show without children, you know, in their presence? Well, I will just spoil my review. I'm not quite 50. And I will review this show as myself, not for an imaginary being. And I enjoy the show. I'm giving this a recommend. So yes, it can be enjoyed by middle-aged men without kids in the presence. But you must do a whole lot of regressing. That's you doing a lot of work for the show. There's not a whole lot here particularly in the first episode, for adults. And I want to be clear. I watch movies about teenagers all the time. I have no problem with it. It is that I don't want to be treated like a teenager. Case in point, love Miles Morales, love the Spider-Verse. But yeah, Tom Holland going to Europe with his friends was just a little too much for me. So it's all about how you position it. And Ms. Marvel is pure sitcom. Like, I just want to say this first one definitely feels... Like, again, I had to just go like, you used to like this. You watched, you can't do this on television. Try to go back to Clarissa Explains It All. Yeah, I agree with you on this first episode. For the first few, I think it grows out of that and matures a little bit. I'm not going to say it becomes maybe satisfying for a standalone 50-year-old to watch. But I will agree with your assessment, especially with this first episode. It put me on edge. I I had a lot of negative things because it was confirming my worst fears. And I honestly... Am pretty much instantly charmed by this. And at first, I thought I wouldn't be because Captain Marvel is a very polarizing MCU hero. There's a lot of people who don't like her and don't like Brie Larson for playing her. And when you start this episode with somebody saying that the Avengers were all lame and Captain Marvel saved their ass in Endgame, and I had these thoughts, Arnie. <laughs> I'm like, you're just immediately going to piss off an audience that is already not going to be grooving to a show about a 16-year-old Muslim. But I got to say, the vibe of this show and the absolute enthusiasm of the main character, the actress playing Kamala 
pull me into this almost instantly. She is infectious with her energy on screen. Amon Vellani hasn't worked before, right? This is her debut, just on screen. They pulled her from, you know, a cast of unknowns. That's quite a brave thing to do. Yeah, from everything I can tell, she had not worked before, not even like... Her wiki article doesn't even mention any stage work. Yeah, not school plays. Maybe a school play. Yeah. So she she came out of nowhere. And here she is not only leading a TV show, but I mean, they are already planning at this point when they hire her. You're also going to be a co-lead of the next Captain Marvel movie. That is some balls. And I'll agree with you, Arnie. Like, out of all the seconds of Hannah Montana and Lizzie McGuire that I've seen, like, this is the best performance for a Disney, you know, teenager type show. Like, I I do think she has some charm. Like, I want to watch her. I'm never bored by her. Like, yeah, I think she does a really good job here for what this is. Part of my problem is I have no frame of reference for what you guys are talking about. I think I've seen some of Lizzie McGuire when I was sitting in a doctor's office. I mean, seconds. I've seen seconds. Haven't you ever babysat? Like, yeah. I mean, when I'm sitting in a waiting room, I think it's on TV. But I know nothing about what you guys are talking about, about any Disney teen shows. All I know is I'm watching this and I don't mind it. Maybe I need to watch more teen entertainment. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually thinking you might be in the in the market for iCarly, but I will also <laughs> oh. say that you love Spider-Man. And what she's giving me is a whole lot of Spider-Man. If she were playing Spider-Girl, it would be equally good casting. Oh, yeah, this is so Spider-Man. The fact that Zoe, this other girl at the school, is going to be her Flash Thompson until they like she finally comes out to everyone. But yeah, a whole lot of Spider-Man vibes watching this. So yeah, a three for three. I'm going to agree that they got the right lead for this. And they may even be pitching this right. I mean, what I'm saying is not that they've done it wrong, just that of all the things that we've watched, of all the super entertainment that I've consumed, and we had a lot of hand-wringing about the Disney influence, this is the first time that I have watched a superhero project and said, this should only be on Disney+. Plus. This wouldn't fit. This wouldn't make any sense anywhere else. No, I agree there. If this were a movie, I think it would really be skewed much younger than any other MCU movie and mix the brand. If you have MCU movie completists, this might be the first one where they would opt out if this was cinematic. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of her problems are just kind of sitcom problems. I'm going to give the compliment, though. They start with one that actually has some political edge, uh, some topicality. We see initially she needs to get her driver's license. And, you know, here in America, that's seen as a relatively innocuous thing. But if you think about Saudi Arabia or some hardline Muslim countries, it's illegal for women to get behind the wheel of a car. So if you want to empower them, if you want to make a show that messages that they can be super this is a great place to start and yeah i don't mind watching this girl back her car into the evaluator's car and trash it i have a little bit of a problem because it's right up next to the welcome to jersey city 
graffiti wall. I'm like, there's not going to be a DMV right next to that wall, but I'll go with it because it's a good visual. Well, that's part of the aesthetic of this series. Again, skewing younger, a lot of times when they're getting text messages, it will be a neon sign in the window of a store behind the character. So that's how I interpreted that. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous if that was really there, but they're going to communicate a lot of things visually because younger people like emojis, apparently. Can I compliment the series for that, though? I love the visual look of the series. I love that they incorporate the text messages into, like, the stylings and designs of the scenes they're showing. And also just some of the wipes and edits that they use, especially here in this first episode. It feels stronger in the first episode. It's going to cool itself down a little later. But I absolutely love the overall design and production here. I did appreciate that this felt unique in a universe that feels very company-driven at times. Yes, it had those visual flares, especially in this first episode. Well, visual flares that match the Disney brand. I, I yeah. feel like if we watched a lot of Disney shows, they would probably have this kind of hyperactivity, but it seems to fit. And yeah, it, you're making an appropriate vehicle for the character that you've created. Like, that's what I would say. My curiosity and question is but where is the whole like drive of the show what is she battling is she a bullied kid when we see her walking around school it seems like the problem is not so much that she's picked on which is typically the case of nerds before they turn into superheroes but that she's invisible right that like people stand in front of her locker people bump into her in the stairwell people mispronounce her name and they just don't notice her this is the story of someone stepping into a spotlight not someone that has been had sand kicked in her face and is going to come back strong it's definitely not a bully situation it just feels like probably how a lot of kids are at high school they have their little group of friends like bruno and yeah like you run into other people and they don't know who you are and they ignore you and maybe don't move out of the way so you can get your chemistry book out of the locker like i feel like that you have to ride this line especially like yeah they want to make this about a pakistani muslim in america but you don't want it to become that stereotype like you again looking for that authenticity like can't they just kind of be a normal teenager too and I think that's how they depict her at school. It would be the stereotypical thing that, like, have people, you know, saying derogatory names to her because of her background and all that. So, yeah, you just play her as a normal teenager. Yeah, the super popular girl with the 100,000 followers on whatever platform, I think it's TikTok. TikTok, yes. You know, is polite to her, compliments her necklace, doesn't talk down to her. In a backhanded way. I don't know, because uh, we there is, on two occasions, a basketball is thrown in this girl's face, and we have white girls laughing and saying it was an accident, when clearly the indication there is that it's not. So, I don't know. Is it sanitizing to say we're not going to deal with racial and religious tension? Or is it just because they want to keep this show so light that they're not going to explore all of the parts of this character's identity? I can't believe you're bringing this up now because I feel like this is the argument I was making during Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, they were trying to keep it too coded and like just say Falcon couldn't get a home loan because he's black like that's what you're implying just say it and yeah I'm watching this one and a lot of times I, I again I think at the beginning I have this criticism more it just feels like this could be 
any teenager in a overly religious conservative family, and they'd have a lot of this similar drama. I agree with you there. I, I do feel like they will get into some of the more historical aspects with her background later on, and I find that stuff really interesting. But at the beginning here, yeah, it could be a, a white family that's very conservative and religious, and you'd have the same drama, probably. I mean, honestly, you take religion off the table, she's just a girl with a head in the clouds, right? You know, she's driving home after having this failed test and wrecking a car. All she's seeing in her head is Captain Marvel flying around the Manhattan skyline. She's not thinking about how am I going to, you know, pass my driver's test? How am I going to, you know, we have a guidance counselor scene where like he's asking her to, to think about her future and tests and all of that. And they, they make a real point that she is split. You know, they do this split screen thing to try and emphasize a motif that will run throughout this of characters and places and ideas that have a schism. And her split is that she wants to live a fantasy when her parents, I don't know if it's Muslim tradition so much as just they want her to be obedient and quiet and and not loud. Yeah, not in a mean John Hughes parent kind of way, not like Cameron's parents, I would imagine. And this is where I feel like the culture plays into it a little bit more, but... Maybe not. I don't have a lot of experience with religious families of any religion, Muslim, Christian, whatever. But yeah, here's a character that I find I can relate to. I can remember being a teenager who was far more interested in Star Trek than my studies and anything I was doing in class. And I can also relate as an adult who has a massive toy collection and sometimes finds that more interesting than my day job. So... I have a character here that I find very relatable with her struggles. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I remember struggling with overprotective parents as well. So I don't deal with that anymore as an adult, but I do remember that struggle of, you know, this did take me back. Maybe you use the word regressed. I'll use the word memory. But when she wants to go to Avengers Con and has to go to her parents and she's scared to ask her parents and knows her parents are going to say no, but has to ask anyway and does this dog and pony show trying to convince them why she should go to Avengers Con. Yeah, I remember asking to go see Poison in concert and being told no, but all of the stuff I had to do to pull up the courage just even to ask. Yeah, but I, I think that's kind of what Stuart's saying is it's kind of too generic, maybe, that you're able to relate with this Pakistani Muslim girl in 2023. Like, where is the real exploration of their culture and, and their effect on that family? If, if that's going to be the driving force, if that's what's special about this version of Ms. Marvel. Right. I'll just put it this way. These writers are carrying a very heavy load in that they have to explain life as a teenage girl in Muslim America and at the same time downplay any tension that's going to keep this from not feeling light and fun because Disney wants it light and fun so where I might want drama where I might want poignancy they're just going to make a skit and that's my struggle is that I feel like it's an interesting new avenue for superhero entertainment to explore but it's going to be done so in a very generic way that yes that means that everyone can relate to her and maybe not to her specific experience but just to the general sense that parents don't understand and won't let you go to concerts because they don't like the way you dress and yeah i agree but yet the show you're describing is the show i feared this would be i feared this would be talking down to an audience and trying to be too educational and not fun when I said that I was not in 
enticed to watch this. I wasn't really excited for this series. I think I feared what you're describing you saying you want. Mm. Okay, we'll explore that. Uh, that's a curious place to be. I don't want a litany of cultural explanation, but I do want, again, just, uh, you know, poignancy. Like, John Hughes has poignancy. They're n it's not all sitcom all the time, even in Sixteen Candles. So I'm just saying I want it to be more than Zack and Cody. And I'm feeling, particularly in this first episode, we're only talking about the first episode right now, it's Zack and Cody. And please, let's give some room to talk about Bruno. <laughs> what is going on? He has no parents. He runs a convenience store. He's in high school and he's selling liquor. It's time to install security systems and create cosplay. And he just, what, just turns on the slushy machine whenever he's got a free minute? At one point, they cut to his room and he's got like the six computer screens like you'd expect Peter Parker or Tony Stark to have. I'm like, oh, okay, this has got to be from the comic book. This is just the techie sidekick. That's, you know, the microchip to her Punisher. He's very smart. We'll find out he's got an early ticket to Caltech and all of that and yes so like he's going to be the guy to design stuff and all of that like, does he become a superhero i have not read every ms marvel issue <laughs> no. I, I read the first year's worth and no not that i recall but he's always there helping her out okay yeah because he feels supernatural in my experience with marvel every side character eventually gets powers at least for a short term eventually yes <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yes yeah, so on a long enough timeline, but this character is the one I didn't like so much and did feel a little bit over-the-top Disney to me if I was thinking about shows. The fact that he can, yes, create an Alexa-type device that would control the lights in Kamala's parents' house and create these suits and work at a Circle Q, not a Circle K. Run it! I mean, he's the only employee. He can't legally sell alcohol, right? If he's in high school, I think you gotta be 21 to do that. And what confused me, like, th this was the character I'm like, oh, here's where we, like, try to show, look how... You know, people are going to have a certain perception or certain people will have a certain perception of how Oakland Muslims are to other people in their community. So like, because at one point they're going to be doing a political campaign and they tell Bruno to go after the converts. I'm like, is he a convert? Like, is he supposed to be a Muslim orphan that like just that's white and hangs out with them too, just to make it real quirky? Yeah, I don't get it. He's really got a crush on Kamala. I do believe he would change religions for her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, it remains kind of underdeveloped, but w it doesn't turn into the romantic triangle I think it will when, when Cameron is introduced later. But it's implied that, yes, he very much in creating her Captain Marvel cosplay suits and the photon gloves that light up, he'd really like to be leaning in and kissing her. But she, I'm not getting anything from her. I don't think that she's ever thought about him no. in that way it's totally one-sided yeah and i think literally she never even thought about it i get the impression that they were friends who grew up together and she never once had the thought yes or no just this is my friend and very androgynous towards him whereas in episode two she's gonna see a guy that gets her adolescent juices flowing yeah and just one more thing was he not giving you total anton yelton vibes like the whole time i was just like he feels like anton yelton reincarnated <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I can see that for sure. But anyway, yes, he gives, because he created Zuzu, the Siri or or Alexa. That just isn't Marvel's Siri. That's something he invented. Like he copyrighted Zuzu. Yes. This is going to be their ticket to sneak out that because they can monitor the parents and create, again, very sitcom distractions. I feel like this is an episode of Facts of Life that will have a tape recording that'll keep my parents from walking into my bedroom and they'll never know that I snuck out through the window and biked over to adventure con facts of life this is a modern day ferris bueller with that yeah sound mm, yeah. activation and everything but this is what i feared like yeah you get this whole like we're gonna show the idealized way this plan is gonna go through kamala's head and then of course i'm like okay then it's gonna go all wrong and we're gonna sit through there and i'm gonna have to do this for five more episodes and i hate this like <laughs> that was a real fear like that all gets dropped like they drop a lot of that vibe after the first few episodes i agree i think that the director of this one as Stuart pointed out, this one's a deal in Bilal. I think they brought a lot of this youthful energy and a lot of this kind of immature vibe to this episode. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, watching it this time, it's really grating on me because it takes a long time for her to get her powers. And I realized that if this weren't a superhero show, this is not one I'd want to watch. I think about 30 minutes is all I could take, even with the great production design and everything else, and even with the enthusiasm of the lead actress. I feel like this needed to get on with it a little bit. <laughs> Okay, so that was really my question to you, particularly since you're having the best time, is that does it need to be a superhero thing? If this were just a show about a Pakistani-American girl trying to have fun and have an identity in high school, I think that most of what we watched has spoken to that. Like, is that enough? Like, isn't it weird that it suddenly turns into a superhero origin with this bangle that just shows up in the mail? Yeah, it's it's weird to me that she has a bangle that gives her powers in the comics. She came out when there was a fight and Marvel was not creating new yep. mutant <laughs> characters. And so she's an inhuman, if you remember that movie. <laughs> mm, later, the last episode that we will have Bruno say that she has a mutation in her genes. Well, that's because Disney bought Fox, so they like mutants again. Okay. But when this was a comic book, they did not like mutants or the Fantastic Four. No. <laughs> so she was an inhuman whose powers just came. Basically, inhumans were the new mutants because you just. Yes. Mutants. Any character they created as a mutant, Fox got the rights to. So they were not creating any new characters except for like gold balls. So and that's a real character. <laughs> so. <laughs> was that like, I dare you to use this one, Fox? <laughs> So to me, it's weird that she has a device that gives the powers. And yeah, they're going to say the power comes from within her. So not anyone could put on this bangle. Until it doesn't. Yeah, there's a lot. Again, the writers, there are several. Each episode is written by someone different. And I feel it. Like I feel the jumble of ideas and the eagerness to try and explain Muslim American life, like everything that they can. And there's just so much of it, particularly in this first episode that is jumbled, confusing, underexplained, like trying to do too much. And so again, to do this a favor, wouldn't it just be better as a sitcom about a normal girl just in high school? Like, I feel like that's what it needs to be, that it ends up having this whole bracelet veil of noir crap. Like, 
it doesn't really gel well. I mean, Stuart, are you watching American Born Chinese on Disney Plus? That that sounds like maybe what you want, which is also based on a comic book and but it deals with, yeah, a Chinese born student who's really trying to come to grips with his identity and like meets if it goes with the comic, I haven't watched the series, but it sounds like it hits a lot of that stuff, even though it does have some more comic book elements that arise. But there is stuff out there. I mean, I'm not saying what I want. I mean, I, again, I'm all for a Muslim superhero if you're pulling it off, but I don't feel like they are. I guess what I'm feeling is they talk a lot about splits and schisms and partitions, and one of them is between the affable sitcom this would like to be and then the agenda of, like, we got to create a superhero. And, like, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, Grandma sent a bangle, and it'll be the perfect complement to my costume, and, oh, hey, look, I'm sparkly. I agree because I knew what the costume's supposed to look like, the Ms. Marvel costume from the comic book. And at one point, Bruno tells her, like, hey, make this costume because her mom doesn't like it because superheroes wear tight clothes and she doesn't like that because she's conservative and religious. And so I thought, oh, yeah, you're going to make it more Pakistani or more Muslim or something. The fact that she just grabs a bracelet and a scarf that she never uses, like, I'm, ooh, that's convenient. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a little something. And in my experience, the people who win the cosplay contests are usually adhering directly to what they're trying to be. They're not usually, you know, doing steampunk versions of it or Muslim versions of it or what have you. People love those, though, like Hello Kitty Stormtrooper, like always getting flocked by people for pictures. And look, this Avengers Con, this is like the first Avengers Con. And it's a party like you just walk in and, and just walk up on stage if you got a costume like they go we're having the ms marvel cosplay like did they go through every marvel character's cosplay this is the weirdest convention i've ever seen like they should have got this right for a marvel movie they know what conventions are like they got one thing very right the guy on stage here is ryan panagos and he is one of the heads of marvel PR. And if you go to New York Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con, this is the guy on stage. He also does their This Week in Marvel podcast and a bunch of other social media stuff for them. But he is up there on stage and he will MC your costume contest. So <laughs> I really kind of geeked out. I skipped San Diego Comic Con this year, but I got to see Ryan Panagos on stage with the costume contest anyway. So I feel like I at least got that little fix. I didn't know you were so such a fan of this guy. <laughs> I mean, it feels real enough, Jacob. I guess, yes, I've been to Comic-Con and I've seen the, God, endless booths of stuff. <laughs> uh, they don't recreate that, but, you know, you get the idea, the spirit, the snarkiness that goes into a lot of the slogans and there's a t-shirt with Captain America's butt and there's enough playfulness here that it feels, again, in keeping with a sitcom. And honestly, having been to a lot of small cons, this does feel more like a party or a carnival than a lot of those conventions do. But I also have never been to a convention about real people. Let's keep in mind, these are, you know, Avengers. It made me wonder, if Ryan Panagos works for Marvel, is there a Marvel Comics in the Marvel Cinematic Universe making comics about what is, in their world, real people? I mean, Stanley and Jack Kirby existed in the Marvel Universe in the comics, so quite possibly. Yeah, I don't know. I imagine they'll get into their postmodern phase at some point, yes. And we will see that. But uh, here, to my point, what I was saying earlier... If you had to boil it down to one thing, like what is Kamala's struggle, it's that she doesn't know how to be seen, right? She doesn't know how to step in the spotlight so that now that she's here in the Captain Marvel gear, she's 
like I don't know, she looks almost drunk when she yeah. steps out there on stage, and like <laughs> it's that discomfort that actually triggers the bracelet. Is it, or is it just that she just put it on right before going on stage? She forgot the gloves that bruno made her that were going to make her hands light up like she was captain marvel so she puts on the bangle i thought it just like immediately no matter where she would have put that on that would have started kicking in shortly after snapping that bracelet shut there's so much that i don't understand about this show and and things that i don't think are explained and things that i want explained to to be specific and aren't and yeah this is one of just many moments where i'm like hand wavy okay just powers and all of a sudden she's knocked over ant-man's head i don't know it's hard to understand It, it to me it's lazy writing like this is how it always goes i get a magic object i'm out of control with my powers i almost hurt someone and then i'm gonna go through a montage later and learn how to use them like the shorthand all there I agree with you like they're not gonna make that any deeper but I feel like I've seen enough movies of this kind to understand what's happening yeah gisted is I think a word we've used uh, in the past and yeah just yeah the writing in this series is not very good I just want to say that it's problematic in the way that they have too many cooks and just again I wanted simplicity and I wanted realness and yeah nine times out of ten when in doubt just make it a giant ant-man head rolling around spilling glitter on everything that everyone's cheering for i'm like this is very dangerous people should be running away and they're just like clapping they're, they're excited for this that might be real though i mean like <laughs> if you did that in comic-con i bet a lot of people would stand there did people cheer when that guy got stabbed by the pen i <laughs> know they did not <laughs> you talk about the writing and i gotta say though This seems par for the course for the Disney Plus series. I can't think of any of them that felt like they were really strongly written. We gave WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier kind of a pass because they were impacted so heavily by COVID. But, I mean, come on, Moon Knight and even Hawkeye have all felt a little scattered all over the place. Here, I feel like the writing is sufficient. I feel like it's doing what it needs to do. This first episode... Took a long time to get to the powers for me, but now that we're here, I really am interested in the reinvention of her powers. She does not have stretchy limbs here. She does not fly here. I'm pretty sure can't Ms. Marvel fly in the comics? Mm, I just know about the light powers. She has a giant hand. At one point, she does have a big hand that catches Zoe, the social media queen, who showed up in a, you know, inaccurate Captain Marvel costume and you know poser right we we wanted her to like not win but we didn't necessarily want Thor's hammer to kill her and she uses that big hand to save her from falling off the hammer yeah that's the way that they're reinterpreting her powers now she has these light powers in the show here which she will use to recreate extensions of her limbs not embiggen her limbs which is the <laughs> term she uses in the comics hmm But this is more or less the episode of basically Kamala comes home and her mother confronts her. And we, you know, we saw the mother earlier trying to hide this bangle anyway. She seemed to know what it represented. There's going to be a backstory with her own mother and the resentment she holds about her mother having fantasies about superheroes. And so basically, this is the conflict between mother and daughter that she wants her to be a good girl and Kamala wants to be cosmic. And you know what? We didn't talk about it, but that was something that really got me this episode is the mother did say she could go to Avengers Con and did make her a costume. 
but she was going to have to go with her father and they were going to be Big Hulk and Little Hulk and the father comes in. Yeah, this felt like a big John Hughes moment here. And when Kamala says, no, it's humiliating and crushes her parents, I felt bad for the parents, you know? And yet I understood the point of view of a teenager. You do not want your parents anywhere near you when you're a teenager, especially out in public, let alone in costume. But that was a heartbreaking moment. And so here at the end, this is like, salt in the wound that she's taking away the bangle and yeah kamala's big plan she had on the chalkboard was she'd be home by 9 22 i think it was when her father checks on her and she's actually rolling in at like 11 30 at night there's nothing scarier than sneaking into your room as a teenager and having your mom waiting there for you that <laughs> happened to me before mm-hmm. <laughs> well there might be something scarier if the department of damage control decides they're sending out swat teams to hunt you down and call you an assassin, that's the stinger for this episode, is that we have someone, I don't know, they're supposed to be threatening, they come off as Jane Lynch and Glee. (laughs) Yeah, she's going to be the villain that's going to be chasing our heroine. And we've seen damage control before. They were in Spider-Man Homecoming. That's who Vulture was working for, was damage control. and But they were a cleanup crew. We, we haven't seen them hunting down people. Like, now they're CIA. Yeah, we haven't seen them in this capacity before. And we haven't seen either of these characters before that show up in the credit stinger of episode one. And they need some kind of villain, because I feel like, I don't know, we'll talk about Jen later, but there seems to be a curious lack of development in creating conflict for this character. It's more about featuring, again, empowering this young woman than it is about giving her something to fight. Or at least that's what it feels like to me. They gave her this stupid SWAT team that's going to chase her around. And they don't even chase her, though. I mean, this episode, they're about chasing her. They're going to start to look for her. They're going to forget her pretty quickly and move on to other things. I mean, if you have footage from the Comic-Con footage, like you could look at everyone that registered and entered for that contest. I was thinking the same thing. Did they have a sign-up sheet? Like, let's go through that. They could have gotten there a lot faster, which this is kid show villains, right? These aren't real, scary, real world villains. These are like what you would put on in iCarly. When they interrogate Zoe and I want this authentic, I want this to be real and to reflect a a minority's experience, but it just feels a little too on the nose when they're like, ooh, it's a brown person. Check every mosque in a 15-mile radius. Like, okay, it feels a little uh, 2003, but... Maybe that still goes on. Right. Uh, Tonally. Like, what kind of show are you making? It kind of makes sense. Again, if this is a kid's show, then that's a silly, farcical, bureaucratic villain. I'll go with that. But there are moments in this series, we'll talk about the later episodes, where they talk about real-world tragedies and evacuations. And I just feel like it's really hard for me to get a bead on what they want this show to do. And I think the screenwriters felt that as well. The first episode, I really agree with you. I think it starts to come together a little bit more in episode two, which is when that interrogation happens. But we are going to have just a lot more teenage time. There's a new kid in school all of a sudden. And of course, that will be tied to her powers. It can't be a coincidence. This Cameron shows up in school and he's hot and has a nice car and immediately Kamala is crushing on this guy, much to Bruno's 
disdain. Yeah. So again, this is the sitcom, right? And I feel like floor space is what at least 50% of the episode is about, oh, I want this guy to like me, but my bracelet's making my nose glow like they have zits. Like, I feel like this is teenagery in presentation, juvenile. You could tell the story of young love and it could be, it could feel like a lot of things. You know, usually when it's like, you know, from an older perspective, you know, if this were made for theaters, my guess is that it wouldn't be so cheesy. You know, I guess that's the word that I keep reaching for is that this thing likes to be the mentality of the characters it's portraying. I hear what you're saying, Stuart. And look, I, I believe the movie came out last year, Bones and All. Great little story about teenage cannibals, like in teenage love. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did like that movie. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah, no, great film. Telling that that's one that I responded to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, this is Disney Plus, so that's my expectations. Like, right. that was never even a consideration that was never on the table for me. So I'm kind of just accepting, like, the fact that this is going down as easy it is as it does like that is a compliment for this film as a almost 50 year old man who watched most of this by himself mm-hmm. okay yeah i'll agree it's going down easy and i'm also kind of impressed some of the stuff you said you wanted in that first episode Stuart. i feel they start to really delve into being muslim a little bit more here through a new character of nakia now i find that name interesting because nakia is T'Challa's lover from Black Panther. So we have two Nakias in the MCU now that are totally different characters. A legacy Nakia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going deep. I'm I'm fine with that. There's room in the universe for two. And yes, you're right. This is actually the stuff that I was like really perking up. We have a scene of them going to the mosque and finding that women are treated substandardly. There's a partition that makes it hard for them to see the imam. They're like washing up and the tile is cracking off. What's strange is it's not going to be Miss Marvel that comes in and saves the mosque. It's Nakia. She's encouraged to like go for this election and like she'll be the one to do all the reforms. Yeah, but it is Ms. Marvel that encourages her. Kamala is going to be the one that encourages her to run. And yeah, there, there's a scene when they're hanging out with Kamran and, and they start discussing Bollywood films and you think American teenagers, they're going to be discussing the Marvel film. No, like Bruno's totally clueless with this discussion trying to fit in. Yeah, I do like when they bring in more, it just feels more genuine at this point. It doesn't feel like generic conservative family. It does feel like they're getting to someone's real back now. Genuine is a word I really like to hear you use, Jacob, because that's how I feel about this. Because again, this could be talking down. This could be, you know, like it could be mocked. This could be fresh off the boat if you weren't doing it right. And yet I feel it's striking a tone where I am being introduced to a culture of which I'm mostly unfamiliar, but also being done so in a character-driven way that makes it feel genuine and doesn't feel forced. I mean, Nakia, they're going to have a whole conversation with her because she's multiracial and she wears the hijab and most girls her age don't and she has her reasons for doing that. Like, yeah, I like when we do, again, I, I don't ever expect a fully serious version like I think you would want, Stuart, but I appreciate that a Disney Plus series is getting this stuff in there. Okay, yeah, I hear what you guys are saying and I would frame it slightly different in that I find all of this very frustrating. 
you hear these moments. Yeah, I love the moment where she goes a date. It's supposed, I'll call it a date. It's a driving lesson with Cameron. He's got a cool car and, you know, he heard that she didn't pass her test. So he's going to spend time with her behind the wheel. And, you know, she realizes she doesn't have to code switch. That when she's like, oh, my Ami, oh, that means mom. And he's like, I know. You can see the look on her face that she's like, oh, I'm with someone where I don't have to explain my culture. And that doesn't happen for me very often. Unfortunately, this series does have to do that a lot. (laughs) And sometimes it feels very performative. Sometimes it feels very inorganic and very inauthentic. It feels like, okay, we're turning to the audience now that we don't think knows anything about Muslim life and telling them this is the food, this is the dance, this is a that. And it doesn't feel real to me. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't want to stereotype American Disney Plus subscribers, but they probably do have to explain a lot of this. Again, this is a minority in America. Like A lot of people may never have contact on a regular basis with a Muslim or a Pakistani. Yeah, no, agreed. No, I I feel that is true, but uh, there's an art to it, right? I understand. I I get it. And we can all talk about where we are at culturally with knowledge and how much we need and how much feels like spoon feeding. For me, a lot of the times I feel like this show is a difficult mixture of those kinds of things that would work much better in just a sitcom than with the superhero stuff. Like it's, I'm really struggling with them trying to stick that together as one thing. I'll agree in this episode, I feel like they serve the Muslim stuff better than they serve the superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Many times. Yes. Yeah, my favorite moments have very little to do with superheroes in this series. I mean, does anyone like her power? She's running around on those purple stepping stones. I mean, that's stupid, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're silly. Every time she has to run around, it's silly looking. Does she have that power in the comics, Jacob? That's what I'm like trying to figure out. Or does she just stretch her legs really long and become tall? No, she she does develop that. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Eventually. Okay, I stopped reading pretty quick. She could only embiggen when I knew her. Yeah, that was the big one at first. But yes, they evolve. She's like got a healing factor eventually. She is a mutant. So like, it's just whatever powers she needs she'll get eventually i mean she's dead now in in the comic universe but there's a movie coming out so i'm sure they'll bring her back for that she'll have a miraculous resurrection who's dead ms marvel kamala they just killed her off in the comics they did and you know there's a lot of speculation that they killed her to make her more like her mcu counterparts well they just announced a couple weeks ago she is coming back to life big shock a comic book character died and is coming back to life (laughs) but the new series is called Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant. Mm, so there it is. Mm. They had made her an inhuman in the past because of the fight with Fox. They couldn't create new mutant characters or Fox would own the rights to them. So they made Kamala Khan an inhuman. Now she's actually going to be joining the X-Men. And like they say in this show later on, she's going to be a mutant when she is resurrected. Not an inhuman, I guess. I, I wonder what that means for the post credit stinger of the Marvels. Will we finally get those X-Men in the MCU? I, I know Wolverine's doing something with Deadpool, but the full team. You know what's interesting, though, is just as a brief aside, is being co-written by Iman Vellani. So Ms. Marvel in the MCU is co-writing the resurrection of her character in the comics. Hmm. 
Okay, I don't know how to feel about that. Maybe she knows this character well, or maybe they want to capture... I'm sensing from her performance, she put a lot of herself in up here on screen, her first big acting gig. They probably want to capture that on the page as well. So, okay, all of this is news to me. Thank you for the education. But my point is that I feel like all these scenes with her and Bruno practicing the powers and all of this stuff. You're right. This is the worst stuff in the show. This is the stuff you want to just ignore. It's not working. It's not, for me, it's not any fun to watch. And it's just, you know, ultimately the whole climax is going to be, she's going to finally use these powers to save a kid that was taking a selfie out of a minaret and dangles off a, a drape or something. That was so forced. I, that is so dumb. Yeah, yeah, it really is bad. This is where the fact that this is a TV series and not a three and a half hour movie really hits because each episode has to end with something super happening and they didn't have it for this episode. They really shoved in this kid needing to be saved by her at the end of this episode. The only good thing about it was that the joke about he likes ice cream on his pizza and then when he's saved we get to see like all these memes. I even freeze framed them and they had that meme. I bet he's thinking about other women. Ice cream and pizza. You know, <laughs> I just thought that that was the best joke out of this forced saving. And yeah, the superhero stuff doesn't work well in this episode. And it doesn't help that then the Department of Damage Control comes in with a drone straight out of Far From Home. I think it's one of the Stark Tech drones <laughs> that Mysterio was using and start chasing Kamala. And this felt way too kiddy. Kamala goes under a truck. A car pulls up. Cameron's in it and says, get in. The car drives away. And then all of the DODC agents are like, she disappeared. They didn't see the car drive away. Yeah. Weren't they prepped for a superhero nightlight, as they call her? This is kid show. Like, this is what I expect to see in like, you know, the dog catcher in a Garfield movie or something like this. <laughs> yes. is not a real villain. This is a kid show villain. One that is mockable. It's a clown. Jane Lynch and Glee. Again, I go back to that. I'm like, we are just to look at her as an idiot. Never seen it. Explain that a little more. I don't know Jane Lynch and Glee. Well, you know what she looks like and you've probably seen her comedic styling. So this actress that's playing Sophie feels tapped into that. And then that she's like, uh, she's all bark. She's got a lot of dismissive things to say. But in the end, she has no power. And that's kind of how this feels like it feels like a superhero show that has no momentum, no villain, no Nothing like again, it would rather be telling you how great the main character is than having them battle anything. And you know, there's a villain though when Cameron's in the car and there's his mother, and the mother's like, We've been waiting for you, or I've heard a lot about you, something along those lines. I'm like, Okay, now we do have a big bad department of damage control, whatever. But the fact that it's the boyfriend's mother. It's kind of playing off Homecoming, where it was the girlfriend's father as the bad guy, but I knew as soon as I saw episode two the first time I watched this, here is our villain. I was kind of wrong, but... Yeah, you're going to have to explain to me anything about that. Why are they here? Like, we'll hear that, yes, they're called the clandestines. Well, we don't call ourselves clandestines, we call ourselves gin. Like, okay, monsters and secretive organizations. I get it. Yeah, these are the bad guys. It's telegraphed. What is their deal? Can we just break this down? Why are they here on Earth? 
I don't know why they're here. They just got stuck here. I don't know. Someone rubbed a lamp and they got transported here. They yeah. are genies. Right. <laughs> but they want to get back and that will take like the energy of the sun and can destroy the universe. That's about all I understand. Interdimensional beings that want to get back to their dimension. Yeah, I don't understand quite how either. But here's a problem. I don't know the mythology of Muslim and what Kamala is going to say through dialogue is that these are the stories she heard, like the horror stories of her youth, were the jinn. They were monsters. She means jinn. Yeah, the jinn. She's talking about the jinn. It's not a Muslim monster. Oh, it's just the Wishmaster? Yes. Yeah, you've seen a genie. Yeah, I, I know you have. I mean, maybe not in person. Right, but I never heard of them as horror stories. I've never heard of genies as monsters. Wes Craven's Wishmaster. You're right. We do have to do the series now. Right. Until then, though. (laughs) (laughs) No, they are typically, historically portrayed as demons. Yeah, they're bad things. Disney whitewashed it with Robin Williams. That's how gins usually are. Yes, right. Correct. I don't want to be spewing any hate against gins, but yes, <laughs> typically speaking, not a flattering portrait. They're not going to give you all three wishes now, Stuart. Yeah, I guess. I've got no wishes. But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. But yes. All right. So yes, this is supposedly the thing that's going to be really exciting for her to fight. But they tell her this and she's like, okay, I'll help you. My bracelet can do this. I don't even see her say no. And then they're trying to kill her. Like, none of this makes any sense to me. She does say, not now. Here's just to walk through it. They ask her to help her, and she's like, yes, but doesn't know how to help her. So she goes to the only person who she knows who might be able to help, which is Bruno. And Bruno is, first of all, not wanting to help because it's helping Cameron, and Cameron calls him Brian. And so, and he's jealous of how Kamala feels towards Cameron. But then also, he's the one who's going to tell... Kamala via text, another text that's going to show up in the background of a wall or something, that it could be very dangerous to do this. And so Kamala then tells the mother, Najma, that it might be dangerous, so just hold on. Now, Najma's been waiting since at least the 1940s, probably a long time before that. She could probably give Kamala a couple days. Give her a week, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> But the moment Kamala says, I want to look into this a little more, she's like, you're my enemy. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, makes no sense. And I mean, we're we're really jumping ahead to the backstory of Aisha. But I mean, her beef with Aisha is that she got involved with mortals, that her family should be the jinn and that she's only loyal to the jinn. But she has a biological son with who? Who is Cameron's dad? They make a big joke when she finds out that they're super old and like, how old is Cameron? Oh, he's only 17, which means like, yeah, she was with someone just 17 years ago. Like, yes, right. So none of this is playing that they don't want anything to do with Earth. They have no caring for Earth. They're willing to destroy Earth. They've been here for centuries, but they've just hated it so much that they want to go back to some nor of light place that just again hand wavy i don't get it like i get it but i don't get it and it feels underdeveloped terribly yeah it it feels like a kids disney plus show it's not terribly developed it's very simple and hand wavy and like it gets just enough in there to make sense Mm -hmm. but not enough to be really involving like 
I mean, just, yes, for a kid's mind, it'll grab them. But for an adult, this is dumb. Yeah, I'm going to really like it when we go back to 1942 and explore all that. That's going to be my favorite stuff. But all this stuff, you know, with the clandestines or the gin chasing her, like, I don't care. We get one scene of that here in this episode. And you're yeah. right. That is the hook. That is the first time that I really sit to attention. I'm like, oh, shit. British occupied India, 1942. We're really getting into that. We're get, we're looking at when the British left and everything that happened between India and Pakistan. This is so cool. But yeah, I mean, it, a late episode, which you're right, is my favorite episode. And one scene here. My argument is Aisha is a whole lot more interesting as a superhero than Kamala ever will be. I agreed. But they've decided that it's Kamala's show. So again, like we get little drips of the superhero stuff. Basically, we're told there's two bangles and they find one in the rubble. And it's a tease that is totally unanswered where the other one is. Season two, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But what we are told and what Naja tells Kamala specifically is the last time I saw your great grandmother, I gave her that bangle and she just ran away. And we will have a later episode confirm that there's more to their history. And I'm glad you guys got the timeline of when this bangle was found, because when we're going to see Aisha later on, I was really confused. Like, when did they find the bangle versus when did the partition happen? And let me just show a little American ignorance. I'd never heard of the partition before this show. I knew that the British occupied India. I knew nothing about the formation of Pakistan. I knew nothing about any of this. This show educated me, and that is my favorite part of the show, is anything regarding the partition and opening my eyes to a piece of history that I didn't know. I mean, what I do know, like, I've known enough Indians to, like, talk about Gandhi, and, like, as Americans, we're like, Gandhi's the greatest, right? Like, he brought peace to India, and every <laughs> single Indian I've talked to, they're like, hmm, not so quick. And, like, yeah, we don't get into what happened shortly after that with this whole partition and Pakistan and, and all the violence that went on afterwards. We're Americans. If someone says we kicked the British out of our country and we go, yeah, yes. we did that too. We love that. It makes it very simple. And I've always said, I love post-war stories. It's more interesting to look at how people tried to rebuild after a war than just showing battles because it's so much more complicated. Yeah, the partition's really an interesting thing. I recommend Salman Rushdie's uh, Midnight's Children book. is a great book about this timeline. If you really want to know like historical stuff on this but it's dribbled in here and i'm appreciative of it but kamala doesn't spend enough time here for and i'm not really sure again there's this metaphor about partitions i hear it a lot of time there's a split in kamala between her daydreams and her you know good girl selves there's a split between you know india and pakistan i hear that they want that to be the theme of this but it doesn't really coalesce. It doesn't really come together. And it feels really rushed that all of a sudden they interrupt this wedding and all this dancing for this attack. Were you upset because you were enjoying Brown Jovi so much? Mm, I guess they had to make the joke. That was a funny joke, I have to say. I laughed at Brown Jovi, the cover band. Earlier when the mom was like, if it wasn't for Slippery When Wet, you and your dad would have never met. I'm like, that... Kabbalah says that's gross. I'm like, that is gross. I would flip out if my parents ever said that to me. Gross. <laughs> but they love Bon Jovi. And yet I'm sure there are a lot of children that are in this world because <laughs> of Bon Jovi. I don't doubt it. <laughs> yes. Again, this show, its best moments are when it's showing culture. So yes, show us a wedding, show us the dancing, show us the awkwardness of the brother. 
They gotta have the Bollywood number here. Yeah, yes. all of that is appealing and the right thing to do. But again, I sense this schism of a, like, but we gotta be a superhero show and we haven't had the villains do anything. It took two hours to get them here. And so all of a sudden, for reasons, Naja and her crew are just pulling weapons out of nowhere and just attacking people in kitchens. Yeah, and to try and save people from this kamala pulls the fire alarm and i was scared this was going to be like the rest of the show is her being grounded for pulling the fire alarm i'm (laughs) glad they don't make a huge deal out of her punishment for doing this and you know the fact that a swat team shows up and arrests some people should probably get her off the hook for pulling the fire alarm she did have a real reason for doing so but we're gonna get the biggest action scene that will have this entire series until the very last episode. So I guess there is a car chase, but this feels like it's trying to be the big action moment, this fight in this hotel, in the kitchen, and it's got some good momentum to it. I kind of like the way that it, you know, she goes under the kitchen cabinets and it kind of reminded me a little of Jurassic Park and things. Yeah, I'm not liking any of this. Can you at least grant me this is not great action. This is like Spy Kids action, probably even sub Spy Kids action. Yeah, this is, you would not put this on the big screen. This level of effects, choreography, action, mm-hmm. this is very TV level. Yeah. And again, God bless this actress. She's very charming, but she doesn't have any martial arts skills. Like this is not, you're not going to be bowled away by her as a superhero. No, no. And she still doesn't have control of her powers. So it's supposed to be awkward, but yet she's fighting off four trained assassins at this point. But I'm having fun with the action. Maybe it's because I'm action starved because we're over 90 minutes, nearly over two hours into this. Halfway. Yeah. And there hasn't been a lot of action. So you give me someone who looks like Grace Jones wielding a weapon and attacking Kamala Khan. I'll go with that. Okay, you can go with it. I'm glad someone is having fun. I will just say that, again, this almost confirms the idea that there are two different shows going on and one works and one doesn't. Agreed, because, yeah, if you ask me everything that made an impression, it is not the action. It is not the superhero story. No, admittedly, when I think about this, when I think back just over the series and I think about the high moments, none of them are an action scene. I think about the end action scene. You notice I even forgot the car chase we'll talk about here in a few minutes, but it's no Hawkeye. I'll put it that way. I mean, you guys like Hawkeye more than I did, too. I Problems with that one as well. I'm recognizing I'm having problems. I really liked WandaVision. Maybe it was just I was new to the idea. It was the first. It was the first. If I watched it now, I would hear the flaws in it that you guys seem to think that it has. But I remember thinking Disney Plus Marvel shows were, were better than they become. And this is just a a real mess, is the way I would describe it. This fight ends with her having a vision, and she's been having visions of, I think that's what, Aisha? That just suddenly pops up, and then all of a sudden she sees the train for no particular reason. Was that Aisha? I couldn't tell who was in there. I figured that's who it was supposed to be. They're all in shadow. It's Aisha's power working through the bracelet, right? Maybe? Or something? Again, if this were actually concerned with being a superhero show, we would know all of these things. But the point is, just randomly, she sees a train floating in the air, and her grandmother calls from Pakistan and says, I can explain all of this. Hop on the next plane. (laughs) And even though she ruined her brother's wedding and her mom has grounded her... They are going to be on the next flight over. And I take that 
you know, as the grandmother did it. The mother said, if it wasn't for your grandmother saying, we need to come over right away, you would still be in your room. Yeah, she said she was dying. She hates her mother. They have such a bitter... She ran away because her mother has been a scandal and she didn't want anything to do and she was glad that she didn't participate in the wedding and sneered about it. This fourth episode is the worst episode in the series. Nothing that happens in this episode makes any sense. I, I do feel like I've talked about genuineness here. It does feel a little bit late. Like, you see this a lot. The child comes and immigrates to America and they have that clash with their parents and they, they gotta make up before they die and that, that's the excuse the grandma uses to get the mother to come back over. Yeah, no, it's a good, like, conceptually blueprint. Like, we want to work this out. Yes, this is about generational trauma. This is about women for centuries denying and embracing their power. You got to do it, but you got to do it better than this. And that it ends up, these two end up fighting about toffee boxes <laughs> while the girl goes running off with her who knows cousins to take photographs and stuff. This is terrible. This episode is a shambles. Episode four. I really like this being a tourist guide to Pakistan. I didn't think the series would ever leave Jersey. You know, Disney Plus, it's smaller than its New York cousins. So I thought it would stay in Jersey and that they went to Pakistan and that I'm getting these scenes and this introduction to the culture. I'm kind of enjoying it as a tour guide, as a kind of Nat Geo special on a trip to Pakistan, as seen through a Pakistani who is, you know, if she's ever been there, she wasn't raised there. And so she has to go and... No, she's never been. The guy that's sitting between mom and daughter says this is the, the first time you've been to Pakistan because of the way she's clutching on her sloth. So, yeah, she's not been here. The fact that she doesn't know how to haggle when she's in the marketplace. I Yeah, I like the vacation stuff, the, the sightseeing stuff. When we get into the Red Daggers, I don't know why we get another group like being introduced into the series. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is terrible. Okay, I was writing the plot summary, and I'm like, okay, I have to mention the Red Daggers and the Clandestine, and I don't quite get what the Red Daggers are or what they're doing. They're just, they protect us from the djinn? Yes. Well, yes. we will find out that there are two different orders, and these are mortals. These are human beings that are defending our world. We will get... Some lip service. Okay, let's just walk through it. Kamala is like, I got to find the train station because of that train vision. And grandma has said nothing about the train, even though that was the reason to get over there. And so she goes to the train station, is reading a sign with an inspirational quote, and a knife sticks in it. And because she's wearing a bracelet that is clandestine, this red dagger is trying to kill her. Kareem is out to get her. And at some point just decides... To take her to their lair. I don't know that he was ever trying to kill her or if he was just testing her. No, she's clandestine. She's the enemy. She's clandestine. He was trying to kill her or capture her or something. Yes, we hate these people. They're sworn enemies to the death. But yet there's something fun about their sparring. You know, it feels like more of a test than an attack. Yeah, it feels lame is I believe the word I would use. <laughs> 
Yeah, we, again, Iron Man versus Captain America, Batman v Superman. Superheroes always got to fight each other because they don't know how to talk and introduce themselves. I just, this cliche, like, I've seen it way too many times. I was watching this, I was committed to watching this whole series in one day, and when we hit this, I was... Ooh, you're brave. I know. We hit this moment, and I was like, eh, I'm going to watch the rest tomorrow. I'm done. This is not working, is where I left it. I was kind of uh, angry, and I came back to the show after 24 hours. I watched it all in one day. I went the marathon route, and... But did you watch it week by week when it came out? You're seeing it twice. Yes, I did. This is my second time watching the series. Okay, yeah. And I broke this up over two nights, three episodes each night. I will say the second night is when my 12-year-old joined me, and I kind of filled her in on what she'd missed, because I wanted to see her reaction. I was wondering if this would click. She's not always into superhero stuff, unless it's funny, like Guardians, and I will say, like, she's at the age. They start turning cynical, and they don't like things that feel disingenuous, like they're trying to play for a 12-year-old, and so, Mm -hmm. like, when they get to some of the TikTok stuff, she gets real upset, but I was watching her closely through these final three episodes, just to try to gauge how she was taking it in. And and I will say with this fourth episode, she's like, eh, kind of whatever. It didn't capture her, this first one she watched. It's too underdeveloped, really. I mean, why would you like Kareem or Waleed? Like, yeah, they have a cool hideout or whatever. They're the red daggers. They wear red scarves. They throw knives. And yeah, there'll be some lip service. There's a 3D map that says our human world is interlaced. They, They exist overlaid one over the other with the gen dimension. And somehow by opening the veil, you're only going to destroy humans? That's what I heard. It's going to destroy Earth and make their world take over ours. Like the energy Kamala uses will overrun the Earth, I take it. What's their world like now? I mean, is the problem they just can't catch a cab back to their world or is their world in shambles and they need this power? No, they just want to get back to their world. They're stuck in ours. They can't get back to theirs. Bruno says in episode two, I think it would take the power of the sun, which we're told Captain Marvel has to open that portal. But that could that's a lot of power. You don't want to mess with it. So that's why they wanted a couple of days to think it over. It seems to me like they could have worked on a different solution than like, let's kill everyone. And yeah, just I get that contrivance of that is exactly that but yes i don't like the red daggers uh, you know she hangs out with them later at the bonfire and they're playing guitar and eating biryani and uh, really this works for you you think this travelogue is fun like I, it feels like a mess for what it is yeah it works for a disney plus series for children i'm not having a bad time i am enjoying the travelogue okay i hated this episode i agree i enjoyed the travelogue bit i enjoyed seeing that it you know, considered, made me think that Pakistan wouldn't be a bad place to visit sometime. It looked like a interesting trip. And yeah, the stuff with the Red Daggers, I just trusted it would be more explained later. And it never was. No. Yeah, but I mean, we're not watching a travelogue. I mean, that's really off topic if we're thinking about vacation plans and like, oh, I'd like to eat that. Let me look up a recipe. But that's part of the mission of this series. We're told by Kamala's mom, find yourself. Stop trying to be Captain Marvel and find out who you are. So yes, she has to explore those Pakistani Muslim roots. And we're going to do that a lot more in the next episode. But I do feel like that is part of the mission statement. This is who you are. Discover what that means, especially in an America. 
America. I just wish it didn't feel like checking boxes. I guess that's what I'm really saying. Yes, conceptually, we needed this episode. We needed her to go and know about her culture and to see the suffering and the strength of the women that have been the previous generations. All of this is right on point. In the writer's room, I tell them, yep, go write that. But if this is the finished script, eesh. Anyway, the point is, the clandestines were arrested last episode, but they break out, because why not? They're tough. And they come back, and, and it's a big fight. Yeah, they're in this Max prison, which is where I would assume they hold things like Abomination and all the supervillains that actually don't get killed. And yet, these lame people are able to just break out pretty easily. I was kind of bummed about that they get out so easy. I mean, maybe I'm not remembering it because it didn't make an impression. Do they use powers ever in this breakout? I feel, <laughs> I just remember a lot of mixed martial arts. They're all handcuffed to a pipe yeah. and then all of a sudden they're not. I don't I don't know what. And like suddenly they just had their weapons again and mom tells son, you're not with us anymore. Well, guess what? He wasn't with you before. He ran and told Kamala you were coming. So I don't know what this is. But yes, the point is we got the bad guys descending on the red daggers. And to me, this is a bigger fight than the wedding spectacle, Arnie. I feel like this is the biggest action. This is, yeah. And I think it's incredibly bad. Yeah, I I actually kind of enjoy this car chase with the little three-wheeled cart. It is as good as the cart chase in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I, okay, I made that same note. I'm like, sadly, like, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, you know, $300 million movie, it's about that level, like, which I I don't know if that's a compliment for this or a diss on Indiana Jones. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say both owned by Disney, so maybe repurposed? (laughs) I'm wondering if they didn't share some of the tuk-tuks. I'll just put it that way. Yes, it did feel similarly underwhelming and kind of fakey but you expect that more in a tv series i don't expect glossy production values i mean this show looks expensive it's uh, even though i'm saying this action is lame i expect that it's going to be lesser than a 200 million dollar marvel movie it's it can't do that but i guess the struggle and i've said it many times i promise i'm not going to belabor it is like if you can't do it don't do it you know if you wanted to make a show about a girl trying to find her Pakistani roots, why bring in all this junk and weigh it down? Because it's a Marvel superhero movie. I like. I feel like they're trapped by this being a comic book property. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because there's a good idea in here and it, I feel like there's stuff that does work. But I, yeah, I watch a scene like this and I go, Weesh, and I wonder... Who but the wee ones are going to enjoy it? And it's not even that, like, kitty, because people are getting knived. It should be said, the red daggers <laughs> are throwing daggers, and Naja does kill Walid. Yeah, there's no blood, though. I put a question mark. I'm like, did they just, like, knock him out, or is he dead? They never show him again, so I guess he is dead. Like, that's how sanitary this is. That's a death. I mean, like you say, no blood, but that is a death scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's what Disney Plus is going to do. You know, they kill parents and that feels like a father figure. He had taught her, I think, we saw like seconds before this action erupted, that he had taught her how to create this geometric veil, like a suit of armor around her. So she now knows how to use her powers because she worked with these people. I think we're supposed to get that from this exchange. Yeah, she got another montage. I didn't quite get that, but yeah, I knew that 
they had done a little training. I wasn't sure where she got the shield idea from. So does she intentionally open the Vale of Noor? They get into a dead end. There's a whole, you know, running in and out of traffic. And then they finally get, like, trapped in a dead end. And all of a sudden... Like, she's traveling back in time, and the veil is opening. Yeah, the, one of the djinns stabs the bangle, and that makes it glow green, and she gets thrown back in time for reasons. Did she know that that was going to happen, or that was an accidental stabbing? I just skipped all this in the plot summary, because this really doesn't impact things, but I do believe it to be an accident that the knife hit the bangle. And If they knew that this was a way home, they would have stabbed the bangle centuries ago, right? They didn't have the bangle. They had no idea where the bangle went. Well, 1942, and she gave it to Aisha, so I don't know why... Aisha ran away with it. She wanted them to have it, right? She was all in. But then she wanted an earth life with her husband and her child and didn't want to go back home. No, but she didn't want that. In 1942, when they're going through the cave and they find the severed hand with the bangle, she is unattached and she is their leader. And the the holdup is we need two bangles, is what I heard, in order for this to work. And they give her one for safekeeping because she's the toughest. And then episode five comes along. And yes, we will see that she commits to Earth. And when Nadja comes for it, she's no longer willing to sacrifice Earthlings to return home. We're following the worst episode, I feel, like that seeing red was a huge miscalculation. I personally found episode two to be the worst because nothing really happened there except a kid falling out a window. But we do agree on the best episode being episode five. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I love that they just take their time. Look, when we try to discuss why there's time travel involved in this, I don't know, but I I just love this as just a historical piece, seeing this mm-hmm. love story during the time of partition. Yeah, I agree. This is one of the ones directed by the documentarian, and you feel it, right? This doesn't have any of the zany, zippy energy. Sometimes it could use it. I'll be honest. Sometimes it's a little performative and drab. Like, I mean, you get no sexual tension between no. Hassan and Aisha. <laughs> and they go from like, oh, you're sleeping in my rose bed to like suddenly baby bump. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. It's a Disney series. <laughs> yeah. We do not want to show sex. We do not want to show romantic chemistry too bad too bad but even still this is the best stuff this could have been a nice marvel one-shot movie like werewolf at night i feel like if it had (laughs) had more room to breathe this could have been really good like a ms marvel one-shot where we'd get this backstory because it feels so shoehorned in as far as the flow of this show goes This could be cut. You could just cut this entire episode. But it is my favorite stuff because it has the most drama, the most historical perspective, and feels the weightiest of everything here. Yes. You need to understand. I mean, we've been told the partition. We had heard the family tell the story uh, when Amir's wife-to-be came over for a family dinner. They had told her about, you know, grandma walking on stars to be reunited with her father after they got separated trying to board this train. Here to actually see it now and to know, I don't know, Kamala's role is where I struggle. Like, that she is here? Like, the Bengal... It was Aisha's plan for the Bengal to bring her back in time and do this? This is what I don't understand because I I love that they 
take this time to to have this historical moment. And this is the stuff my daughter was most engaged with. Mm-hmm. She was not looking at her phone during the, this whole episode. But yeah, why is time travel necessary? We have this story about the grandma as a child getting separated, going to the train, and she followed some stars, some lights in the sky to find her dad. Why is it that Kamala had to create that, like... Mm-mm. Why is there a time loop here? Is this even real or is this a vision? We've seen Kamala have visions before and see people. And so I don't know if this is real, like she traveled back in time. And if this hadn't happened the way it does, then her grandmother never would have found the great grandfather. Or if this is just Kamala interacting with a vision. I don't know because this is so out of nowhere. The fact that the grandma is like, Kamala, did you see the train? Like, it seems like she's having visions too, or she knows something going on. And it's, yeah, it's confusing. All right, so let me break this down. So Aisha, great-grandma, is the one that is Jen, right? She is from the other side. And we don't know why she's here. But again, she was in allegiance with Nadja. Good buddies, we all want to get home. They knew what getting home would do? No, I don't think they knew that. Najma's going to say that everything has risk, so, but I don't think that they know it's going to destroy our Earth. But later, that's the reason why she's hiding the bangle from Naja and, like, won't work with them anymore. It's suddenly like, you're going to kill off my family by doing this. This is a schism, you know, and it's happening as... You know, the Muslims of India are breaking off from the Hindus of India. Like that, again, that should be thematically rich, but I I don't feel like it's fully articulated. So does Aisha have magic powers? She has the same powers, I think, as Kamala? Like Jin powers focused through that bangle. She does. Here's what I was thinking was that all these women in Pakistan have been superheroes that, you know, later we'll find out that the mother, Kamala's mother, doesn't like her mother because she, you know, was cosmic. I assume that meant that this grandma, like, put on the bangle and went and, you know, fought for freedom, truth and justice. It seems that way when the bangle arrives, the mom's like, put that up in the attic, get rid of that. Like she knows something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that never pays off. No. (laughs) And maybe all it is, is that this baby, I call her a baby, but maybe three, four years old, grandmother as a baby has a magical moment only provided by Kamala. So again, I'm going to hypothesize maybe Kamala is the first one to actually be able to use magic because we don't see Aisha ever like create purple stepping stones or do anything, you know, magical. She doesn't, you know, have martial arts powers or any of that stuff. She throws a knife at a British guy and that's it. That's all that I ever see her do. Yeah, one thing that really confuses me is the Jin power because when they're being introduced a couple episodes ago... And the djinn are introducing themselves and talking about their powers. One thing that they say is to Kamala, the bangle unlocked your power. Maybe someday Cameron will find something that unlocks his power. So was Aisha's power ever unlocked? Or if you're from that realm, does it need to be unlocked? I don't know. 
And yet, what's the point of this discussion? Because it's really because Kamala's a mutant, right? The power's not coming from within her. It's because she's got that mutant X gene. All right, I spoke too soon. Aisha does do one magical thing. As she's trying to board this train with her daughter and her limping husband, she makes the choice to break away from them to confront Naja. She knows that the clandestines are coming and gets knifed, gets killed. And as she's dying, she magically inscribes on the bangle, what you seek is seeking you, which I don't know if I totally understand what that means. The grandmother is seeking the great grandfather and the great grandfather is seeking the grandmother. The great grandfather? Yeah, the baby's father is seeking the baby and the baby is seeking her father. So they're seeking each other. I took it as something else. What Kamala is seeking is seeking Aisha in this moment. Because Kamala, all of a sudden, time loopy, is coming in here. And no, you're the one all along that made the magic, not me. Maybe because she's a djinn, she made a wish to save her daughter. And for whatever reason, that brought Kamala to the past to do that. Because now she has powers because she has the bangle. But who cares? Why is there a time loop? Why do this? Like, it feels like you should have a reason. Yes. Yeah. You need to spend time on this. I like this episode despite, but I hate the fact that I have to suck it up and overlook so many underdeveloped and confusing elements. Yeah. Again, you could have honestly cut this whole thing. Really? Well, how sad that would be. But you understand what I'm saying as far as the plot of the series. Oh, I do. I do. This doesn't make any sense. It's the heart of the emotional family story. But tonally speaking, it's way out of whack with every other episode. And it doesn't have enough Kamala, which is probably why they have the time loop, just to give her something to do. And, uh, you know, then she can pop back and go back to where we saw her at the end of episode four in that fight. And then, then this is stupid. So they open up the veil and it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You dive because, you know, it was always going to kill you. It's because they don't have the energy to get through it. Again, you need the energy of the sun or whatever. Or the other bangle? Or the other bangle, maybe. I don't know, but you need a lot of energy. That's all I know. Yeah, this makes no sense to me. I'm with Stuart. Is like, and this is the end of our villains. Yes, such as they were. The clandestine have been the villains the entire series. Here we are in episode five and we're killing them. For reasons unknown, I'm very frustrated by this, and I didn't even remember this when I was coming back to the series. I didn't remember they killed the bad guys in episode five and we'd still have a whole other episode. Yeah, what else are they going to do? Well, the tease is, as the mom goes into the veil, she knows she's going to die. She says, I know what will close this. I thought you wanted to go through it, but okay, you're going to close it. That's the sacrifice of herself. And as she does it, she wishes all her powers to her son. The reason she wants to close it is because Kamala points out, this will destroy the earth and your son you left behind. Right. So why should she care about a son she abandoned? Well, she's now regretting abandoning that son because Kamala said so. Yeah. (laughs) You see what I'm saying. This thing did not work out its emotional beats. But think about the nine-year-olds that need to understand this. Yeah, and and that, as Arnie said, there are people that don't even know this history and the the good that this is doing as far as informing, you know, a, a portion of this country that wants to know about Muslim culture and the gift of it is that eclipsing all the mistakes that are being made. It's a real struggle for me. I'm going to say yes. They kind of are for me. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm not there. I wish I could. I'm not. I feel like there has been so many false moments. And I want to cheer. I want to cheer this. But yes, that we have another episode is a bummer, right? I'm ready for this to be over. And there's not much good about No Normal. It's fun. I can give it the F word. I will say that what happens here is fun. And if you're watching the first two episodes, this is a climax in the tone of that, I guess, what do you call it? Zach and Cody? I don't know these shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach, Cody, Lizzie McGuire. It's, it's the senior prank episode. I mean, you saw Salute Your Shorts. I mean, there is a generation of shows where you did, you can't do that on television. You know what a kid's show is. And that's what this episode is going to be, is the climax for the people who the first two episodes were aimed squarely at. Yeah, they have the DODC villains, right? We haven't dealt with them, and and I guess that needs to be resolved. At the end of the fifth episode, they send drones to track down Cameron, because he has magic powers now, and he's going to seek refuge at the convenience store. They blow it up. Now those two unlikely allies are running from the DODC. And this is where Disney, they they try to make that point, like, look at this racism, going after them because they're Muslims and going into their mosque without a search warrant, as they did in an earlier episode. And it's like, yeah, but they also have superpowers. And like, are they going after them because they're Muslim or because they have superpowers and it's their job to track those people down with superpowers, not Muslims? Yeah. And in the end, they're going to really say that this is all Sadie anyway, not the DODC, that the boss is going to be really distancing themselves. And so, uh, you know, again, what? How sincere was this threat? My problem with this show in general is it doesn't have good villains. It does a lot to embolden, empower, and throw a positive light on its hero, and it does nothing to give them a conflict to fight. Yeah, and this one is where my daughter tuned out, because it is very... Again, she's in junior high, running around, setting up softball machines to fight cops. Like, Mm. that is not what she finds entertaining. Like, she's like, that is not my school experience. I was like, what? No green slime? But that's Nickelodeon. That's sad, because I really enjoyed those kinds of movies when I was in junior high. (laughs) I never did like kids' films, even when I was a kid. Maybe that's not a surprise for folks. Uh, But I just, I didn't grow up in an era where Disney was doing well. And so I didn't see Disney movies. I saw Spielberg movies and adult films. And so I think it just prematurely developed my appetite for something that has little tolerance for child pandering. But yeah, there's a lot of that here. And it is back to Adil and Bilal directing this. It has that first episode energy of the prankishness. You can feel them fighting villains with foam and all of this stuff. I mean, we're going to do the mm-hmm. art again as Kamala writes on the chalkboard their plan. We're, we're going to do that whole motif that we saw in that first episode. Yeah. It feels like it's restoring to where the show was at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of bookending it that way, which is not a bad idea tonally. I think episode five tonally was the mistake because it mm. just... Because the people who enjoy the other five episodes are going to probably be very bored by episode five, whereas this is the tonal conclusion of what they started. And, you know, it does remind me a little bit of Spider-Man Homecoming again, just kind of the silliness around the high school. Yeah, I, wh- what matters here? So the point is that it looks like Cameron and Kamala are a real item. Like they're bonding, he, not just because they have magic powers, but they grab each other's hands and you get the sense that, again, I think we even see Bruno walk in on that, interrupt them before they kiss. And 
they're going to be a couple. This is season two. We should expect. I don't know. This guy, Cameron, looks so much older than her. Like, it feels... I, I know they say he's 17, but he looks at least five years older than her. Yeah, I agree. I felt like he was in his 20s or something like that. It was not... Bruno felt age-appropriate. Cameron, not so much. Yeah, I was weirded out by it. It just felt a little bit off, but hey, whatever. And he is 25 in real life. Yes. And Iman Villani is only 20 in real life, so... So there is a five-year gap there. (laughs) And I think that's an important five years back then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And again, she she feels 16 where he does not feel 17. He feels 90210-17, not this <laughs> series 17. Yeah. But again, the whole point is like we want to get him away. And ironically, the people that are going to take him are the Red Dagger. She calls Kareem and he's like, okay, send him back to Pakistan. We'll take care of him. And they just have to hide the fact about what happened to his mother. He doesn't know yet. He thinks that she's coming back for him. And when he finds out that she died of her own, you know, evil plan, by the way, that he knew about, uh, he's ready to kill all the authorities. And we see Kamala really trying to protect these SWAT teams from him. And they've been bad guys this whole time. I get you don't want to necessarily kill them, but it's weird that... She's protecting the ones that are shooting her friends with pulse weapons right now and things. It's a very strange three-way fight dynamic that I don't feel fires on all cylinders. I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm no surprise. I don't think it's firing on all cylinders either. It's just the point is if there's a good, good part to all of this is we finally see her full powers, right? We finally see her get the full suit on and yeah, she can smash a cannon with giant Hulk fists. And you're right. Like Mr. Fantastic is kind of what it reminded me of. They, they kind of stretch, but they're also rock like. I don't know. Mr. Fantastic and thing at the same time. I don't know, but we see her in full bloom and she's wearing a costume. That that her mom made that is going to be the costume, right? This is it. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that in that sense, this battle, if nothing else, confirms who she is and what her powers are. Worst secret identity, like her insignia is just her name from a necklace, I guess. Like her mom finds that necklace after all the Red Dagger stuff, and it looks like it just turns sideways. It also looks like a lightning bolt, because that's Ms. Marvel's thing. Mm. But yeah, like the fact that her whole family knows, Bruno knows, Nock knows, like Zoe's going to know by the end of this, like this is getting out. And this is strange (laughs) to me. Is this a Marvel thing? Because I think in general, most superheroes, that's the tension of it. I can't let my parents... I can't let my job, I can't let other people know this identity. That's something you play with. The fact that her family is fully on board by the end of this and they're like happy for her. And, you know, before they wouldn't let her go to a comic book convention and now they're going to let her go fight crime with superpowers. Like that just makes no sense. I agree that the arc of the parents being so permissive now that she's a superhero doesn't make any sense. I think it's a conceit of the MCU mostly that there's no secret identity, although there was the whole, for the comic fans, the Civil War arc where everyone had to unmask, including Spider-Man. I mean, we had a whole Spider-Man movie giving him his secret identity back. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I feel like for Spider-Man, that was part of the tension is that as a young person, you usually feel like the world is against you. There's repression. And so not being able to be who you truly are kind of fits in with the idea that no one can know your, you know, your superhero. I feel like she needed that, honestly. 
Like, it feels wrong that everyone knows who she is and are blasé about it. Well, you get this big Spider-Man moment at the end here where you think the Department of Damage Control is going to get him, just like Spider-Man, like he, he, you know, Doc Ock's about to get him, but then the, the community's going to come in. They're going to line mm-hmm. those cranes up for Andrew Garfield to swing to get to the lizard. Like, that. that's always a big Spider-Man moment, but here, mm-hmm. like, if you're bringing the community together, I would have liked to see maybe, like, she was the factor that maybe all these Muslims in this community had different ideas, like, retoy with that with the election of the board member with knock but like it doesn't get in deep and like she's what unified it like the fact that the cops are going to help them too mm-hmm. for that to be an arc and have real emotion like they should have been indifferent or hassling them and i just i didn't see that happen in this series yeah that's a lot about my feelings about the entire series is that i understand conceptually what they wanted to do but i didn't see them actually dramatically pull it off and yes all of this is very box checking that zoe the social media guru is going to go out to her followers and bring the crowds i'm not sure what the brother ever does but he's there throwing softballs and that nakia who didn't seem to like superheroes and treated her her hijab like it was her superpower like is going to be like okay i accept that you lied to me about your identity and it's a non-issue even though earlier she was mad that this superhero was bringing problems on the muslim community that just resolves itself just without real dramatic weight and yet it's the coming together of teenagers and you know the putting behind of small teenage rivalries in face of a larger threat and you know you're gonna get you keep mentioning you can't do that on television the agents are gonna get slimed because bruno is gonna create some kind of trap in the science lab that looks like it creates gallons of shaving foam and things it's called elephant toothpaste it's very popular on youtube Mm, yeah i'm sure or was a few years ago yeah i get it again it's the questions I'm asking are not the questions I would ask if I were 12. And I probably would enjoy this a whole lot more than I am now. But after Cameron gets away, we're going to jump a week later. And this is the goodbye to Bruno. Is it the blowing up of the Circle Q that made Bruno decide to take the <laughs> Giga Caltech? Well, he said he was taking it already. Well, and now he has Cameron's car. So I yeah. think, although Naki is driving it because they want to make that point. But I don't know. And he's going to tell her what you said jacob to kamala there's something different in your genes like a mutation and in the score if you listen real closely you could hear that old x-men theme from the 2000 movie play a few strings this is why i was surprised i didn't have this spoiled because it feels like every clickbait article and youtube video out there is always trying to claim like this is how we get x-men back into the mcu and like well here they they just brought up mutants and i didn't hear anyone talking about this i guess because no one watched it Mm. (laughs) yeah i have seen the clickbait articles the mcu has its first mutant and you click the article and it's kamala okay (laughs) yeah i feel like there's five or six different endings they like have her sitting on a lamppost talking to her father i feel like there's every time i think this thing's over there's another scene yeah well the scene with her father is where she finally gets her name right she's gonna find out kamala translates to marvel and so he calls her their little miss marvel and that's why she is Ms. Marvel now. Yeah, end. That's the end of the show, right? Except, like, they keep having, like, false endings. Like, then it's like, no, we got to do the car. No, she's got to sit on a lamppost. Like, and then we get this mid credit scene, which is the actual tease. I think it's from the movie, 
uh, the Marvels. It seemed like it was from the trailer that I saw. Yeah, I believe it is actually footage from the movie. And let me just see if I understand this correctly. They've made a Marvel Freaky Friday. This is all about Brie Larson being uh, pretending to be a little girl. No, I there's three Marvels and they change places whenever they use their powers. That's what I got from the trailer. Yeah, it's not body hopping. It's literal like teleportation. Oh, like their actual physical body changes. Yeah. Okay, because I'm like, I really think that's a bad idea. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> But, you know, hey, they made weird ideas work for them, and God knows it's they, they've had the success behind them to try anything. I'm glad that they still want to be creative, but yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about, yeah, the Marvels in general. Well, let's see how we feel about Ms. Marvel. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Ms. Marvel? Jacob. I mean, like we started off saying, in a weird place, because is this for me, like an old man watching this by myself in the living room when everyone's out? Like, uh, no, like, and I recognize that, though. Like, this is made for young children, tweens, and it's going to have that aesthetic. It's going to have that attitude. Like, I accepted early on that this was going to be Hannah Montana meets the Marvel Universe. Like, fine. Like, how bad is that going to be? Like I, I said, I, I went in with the worst expectations after seeing the trailer for this series. And I'll have to say, like, by the end, I really like, if you're talking about the woke heroes, the Ironhearts, the Miss America Chavez, the Lady Hawkeye, Heidi Steinfeld. Like, I like this Miss Marvel. Like, out of these, I don't remember anything about Ironheart. America Chavez, like, didn't make much of an impression. I will say Kamala Khan, she is there with, like, Heidi Steinfeld as Hawkeye. Like... I, I think this actress is at that level. She brings that charm. She kept me engaged even at the most kitty moments. And what works best for me was, yeah, w when we get the cultural lessons and the travel log and we learn about Muslims and the partition in Pakistan and go there. That's the stuff I really appreciated. That's the stuff that stood out. That's the stuff that ultimately is going to make me recommend this. Like the superhero stuff feels very tacked on and yeah, there's problems with it. We've talked about that. But I'll say I like this enough that I went and, well, I would have had to do it anyway because that's what I do when we cover comic book movies. If I haven't read the comics, I read them. But I wanted to read this. Like, I had skipped it when it was announced back in 2014. I read the first arc. I think it was issues 1 through 11. I enjoyed it. Like, I was excited to go read that and do that homework for this movie because of this series here. Like, there's enough here. Like, if you're stuck babysitting, if your kids want to watch it, or maybe if you just want to watch it on your own if you're a big mcu fan like i don't know it's not that bad as long as you don't care about the superhero stuff and that's the stuff that works best is the history lessons in that and yeah that's what i'm recommending this for as an almost 50 year old man so yeah mild recommend i enjoyed it more than i ever thought Stuart, yeah i appreciate that you can be positive and i there are parts of me there's a schism in me. There's a split <laughs> in me where i can agree with what you're saying but you know like this thing I appreciate the weight, right? Miss Marvel had a lot on her shoulders. She had to normalize and celebrate Muslim teenage females for the first time in a superhero genre. And that is no easy task, particularly in the climate of today where people get so bent out of shape over small things, in my estimation. It's why I can't stand going on the internet. But not unlike many cinematic verse, the end results are often 
messy, strained, people feel like it didn't fulfill the potential. I think about Tom Hanks trying to teach, you know, straight America gay life in Philadelphia, or Waiting to Exhale trying to prove that black women can carry a movie, or more recently that deaf people deserve Oscars in CODA. And while I can be behind all of those sentiments, 100%, those are all Red Arrow movies. I don't like a single one of those movies. They are badly told. They are sanitized. In many cases, they are trivialized. And so I have a split. I want them to do well so that they can make good movies about those groups. But do I actually like the art, the artistry of the telling of the pioneer? No. And while Miss Marvel is not as bad as any of those movies I mentioned, it's disappointing in that same way. I had so much hope for this, particularly because I had heard the good hype about it. But these scripts are awful. I mean, really awful. And this show is totally all over the place. And it fails to give pertinent, vital information. The superhero stuff in particular is underwhelming. And yeah. I hear you like the the lead. I do too. My struggle is I like Miss Marvel. My hope is that she has a great second season, but I don't like this season at all. I don't, her origin story is very awkward and it's too bad. I'm glad that, that people are getting something out of it. I think there are things here that are, are good. Honestly, my sadness is, you know, I have a niece that reminds me a lot of this main character. And if I had seen it with her, maybe I would be able to appreciate the touch that they had. The idea that pratfalls are more important than, you know, the, the cultural poignancy. But my enemy is not with Miss Marvel. I look forward to seeing her again. But my enemy, I'm starting to realize, is Disney and the way that they sanitize cultural problems and difference to make everything so cute. I'm just not a big fan of cute. And this show is very cute. And that's my red arrow. And I've already spoiled that I'm recommending this series. The question then becomes, how strongly do I recommend this series? And truthfully, I'll agree with what you said, Stuart, in one regard. Ms. Marvel is the best thing about Ms. Marvel, and that's Iman Vellani. You said you had no problem with her, and Mm -hmm. I really like her a lot and the energy she brings and the enthusiasm she brings she plays a superhero fangirl and she plays it so well that she wins me over in episodes of the series that i shouldn't like the first two episodes specifically i really shouldn't like those episodes i don't necessarily care for bruno i feel he is a little too disney show yeah but i do like nakia i like nakia and her story about getting on the council at the mosque i mean there's good stuff in here that i enjoy watching and then when we start getting into the superhero stuff it's a little bit clumsy i'll admit but it holds together almost well enough you know I wish the Jin were more fleshed out. I wish that their big bad of the series was more fleshed out because I don't think it's the Department of Damage Control. They're omnipresent, but they'd never feel like a big bad. And Najma feels like a big bad, but then she's taken out through suicide in episode five. And then we have <laughs> episode six still. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get it. We, we've been through it. Yeah, a lot of problems. I'm glad to hear that. I'm least hearing you saying you see the problems that I saw. I do. And yet, <laughs> with all those problems, the big question I had is, is this the best Disney Plus has given us for Marvel so far? <laughs> 
Wow. I'm right there with you, Arnie. I had to think about it. I, I think I still enjoyed Hawkeye more, but... Yes. Oh, it's my least favorite. But yeah, this is like number two for me. Like, yes. <laughs> I really had to think between Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye, and it's almost a tie, but Hawkeye is better. Haley Steinfeld is so good in that one, and yet that one held together a little bit better, and we did get Kingpin in it and things. So Hawkeye... And then Ms. Marvel are my two favorite series. Then it goes WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Werewolf by Night, Loki, Guardians Holiday Special, and my bottom is Moon Knight. <laughs> okay, wow. That's really funny. I, you heard me laughing because I was like, these are the, the bottom. Like, Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel are my problems. They're the most Disney, and maybe that's not a problem. If you're on board for a Disney Marvel show, they're giving it to you. They're giving you all of that. The ones I have enjoyed have been more like the movies. So, yeah, I think about WandaVision and Loki. Without a doubt, those are the the high points. Way higher than this. Like, they're just better stories. WandaVision's ending, really, and it's just episodic nature. You didn't watch WandaVision week to week the way I did, so you didn't have the experience of frustration of nothing happening in that series for five episodes. No. Yes, we reviewed all of these shows, and I more or less, I think at one point I was saying they're better on TV than they're on the big screen. Now I'm just wondering if Marvel is falling apart. But uh, <laughs> to be determined, we're going to keep plowing through. I got to say, though, I am most excited to see Ms. Marvel in the Marvels than I am to see Captain Marvel, who is overpowered and who some of the haters are right to complain about. And who cares about this third one from WandaVision? I mean, Rambo? I Does anybody care? I mean, she was in Captain Marvel, too. Yeah, the lesbian that couldn't be. As a little girl, a different actress. Really? They recast? No, I mean, she was a little girl. Remember, that took place in the 90s. Yeah, okay. I don't remember Captain Marvel. I'll be honest. That's one of the ones that has faded into... I remember something about Annette Benning and flying around in jets. Jude Law, yeah. Put it on your rewatch list, Stuart. <laughs> Jude Law's in it? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, wow. He's the bad guy or the gaslighter? Wow. If you're rewatching every movie leading up to series, are you rewatching every MCU installment going up to the Marvel, Stuart, or are you just going to do Captain Marvel? Yeah, just Captain Marvel. Yeah. And Secret Invasion, which I feel like is, you know, going to tell us more information, at least what Nick Fury's been doing all that time. We're going to still build to these shows. There's a She-Hulk show we're going to get to in a couple weeks. But we've got so many theatrical releases in the weeks ahead that that will be filling our times. But next week, we've got to cover something else green, not She-Hulk, but Turtles are back with some mutant mayhem. Are your kids back? I'll be watching all of those films and I will be trying to see Ooh. what there is to be seen. If the kids need to come back, I'm calling the plumber and getting them back. <laughs> yeah, fish them out of the toilet. <laughs> The the big question is, have they aged or are they the same age as they were when we reviewed <laughs> yeah. Turtles all those years ago? <laughs> yeah, I, they've outgrown whatever I'm going to be watching. No <laughs> doubt. I need to have more children that are going to be the fake audience for this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will be watching the original trilogy. There was already an animated movie that I feel is largely forgotten. And then the two with Megan Fox. I'm telling you, the best one is that one that I talked about that had all the different Turtles crossover, the ones from the comics meet the one from the 80s TV series, meet the ones from the 90s TV series. Throw that one in your marathon. It's the best movie with the Turtles ever. The Turtleverse. Mm -hmm. Sounds like very No Way Home. 
<laughs> Across the turtle verse. I like that, Jacob. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's the style they're going for with this new one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The animation definitely feels like it wants to capture. And I hope they do. I hope they get a kernel. It's working on me. I'm excited for it. Okay. I mean, I, excited is a big word, but I think it will be better than much of what I watched and rewatched. Meanwhile, this Friday, our sh- gold level donation series for summer is reaching the end we're biting into the final shark movie of the season the meg 2 it opened this past weekend and our review will be out for gold level donors and patrons this friday here here still looking for another jaws i don't think this is it i can look at those previews it ain't jaws uh this has jason statham on a jet ski and like a spear going after a dinosaur better than Jaws, already calling it. Mm, uh, I just hope it's better than the Meg, but we'll see. And also, in addition to supporting our show financially, if you'd like to give us a hand with the show, we would really appreciate if you went to iTunes and left us a five-star review and a written review if possible. You know, we go, we check those reviews, we hear your feedback, and if you have some positive things to say, some encouraging words, we love to see those on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. Giving us a five-star review is very much appreciated. You can find links at our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And I guess our next Marvel review will be She-Hulk as yet another female Avenger assembles! That's what Kamal means in Arabic. Kamal means Marvel. Thank you for listening to this episode in the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're going to knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too uh, much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? 
donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash nowplaying to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who wants to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you just did it again. You're the God, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell.